Hey everybody, welcome back to Pluses and Minuses. Thanks to everybody who has been here from the beginning and welcome to anybody who might be new. This is the show where we are going through the Disney Plus library from A to Z and I am catching up on anything I haven't seen. So welcome to everybody who's with us. I hope everybody has enjoyed the first couple of episodes. Today we have a fairly obscure title for everybody. We have The Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin. And I'll be honest with everybody, um, before Disney+, Plus, I didn't know this was a movie. I had never heard of it before, never seen anything about it, never heard the name. So I was going into it fairly blind and not not super excited the cover art and title suggest a western style movie which i do not always gravitate toward and being from 1967 a uh, jury was out on how this one was going to go um, I didn't have a, have a lot to go off of from, uh, Disney's description here. Boston proper meets the Wild West as Roddy McDowell, Suzanne Plechette, and Carl Malden star in this fish-out-of-water comedy. To restore his family's lost wealth, a young Boston lad named Jack stows away on a ship bound for the California Gold Rush. When the family's very proper butler gives chase and reunites with Jack in San Francisco, all roads lead to non-stop adventure, wild and woolly characters, and a lucky punch that leads to a bonanza of belly laughs. So, again, it just kind of sounded like a Western film made by Disney in the 60s. So... I'm a man of my word, and I'm going to watch all the movies I haven't seen, so I had to give this one a chance, and to be honest, right off the bat, I'm glad I did. Um, it was, it was, um, unexpectedly enjoyable. So, um, one fun fact here that I learned as the opening credits rolled is that this movie is based on a book. It's based on By the Great Horn Spoon by Sid Fleischman, which uh, piqued my interest right away. That is a book that I remember my fourth grade teacher reading to us as we studied about the gold rush. And so I was immediately more on board than I had been uh, thinking I was just watching some random movie about the gold rush. Um so that, that was fun to see uh, that book adapted for the screen. Another um, thing, thing this movie had going for it from the opening credits was uh, that there are songs in it from the Sherman Brothers. And so it, it, it really got me going, uh, these opening credits, um, because I was certainly... Um, not, uh, terribly excited, uh, to start this movie. And so, 
the movie begins and it is I guess it's it's uh supposed to be kind of sad uh this guy that we don't really get to know much about has died and the movie opens with the reading of his will and this is where um really things get set up for the runoff to San Francisco to join the gold rush as this old man in his will has left hundreds of thousands of dollars to each of his servants um except for the first one who only got $90,000 and then the butler got $500,000 so i guess there was uh there was certainly a hierarchy here in uh this man's household um, but he leaves them hundreds of thousands of dollars and he leaves his two grandkids, his estate and all his possessions and all of this. And then the, uh, what do you, I guess uh, the officiator of the will, I guess is the, is the right term for that. After he's finished reading what was left to everybody in a a truly jerk-like move is like, cool, so that's what you're all getting, except actually you're not getting any of this. Um, because this old man, towards the end of his life, had ran up insane amounts of debt and borrowed money and died broke and did not have hundreds of thousands of dollars to give away to the servants and the estate had to be mortgaged and the uh, stuff had to be sold. So nobody got anything. And so the, this 12 year old boy, Jack is like, Oh shoot. Oh man. We're, we're hecka poor now. And his older sister was taking care of him and he was like oh man we got no money and she's got to take care of me but what did this young man know about that's right he knew about the gold rush and so he was like i'm peacing out much the dismay of the butler who was trying to raise jack to be a proper young man jack ran to his room packed his stuff left a note and ran away and so the butler was like, mm, this boy. And so he ran after him because uh, he's good at his job, I guess. You know, you got to get the boy back. And um, is looking for the boy on the ship before it leaves. And then he gets knocked out. And so they leave before they can get off the ship. And so you're stuck now. And they end up going to San Francisco, as Jack is sneaking away to the boat, and he's, like, kind of under the dock trying to get to the boat, um, this, this dude is following him, and, like, uh, creeps up on him under the dock, and is, like, trying to get him to help with things by, like, rhyming a lot and he just seems like a real shifty shady character um well then later on it turns out 
that um, he's a good guy, and they're on the same team. So, uh, not a great first impression, uh, but turned out to be a real good guy. So, I guess that was good, because he showed up under the dock with his mysterious cape and cane and spoken rhymes to Jack to and like somebody was after him and all that kind of stuff and I was like this guy doesn't seem like the most savory character uh, but it turns out that he was and that the real bad guy was Judge Higgins and he just does not quit for the entire movie <laughs> So anyway, they uh, travel on the boat, and they're going to San Francisco, and it's great, and they get there. Um, but while they're on the boat, they start making this plan with the guy who helped Jack sneak onto the boat, who we learn is not a shifty character. But we learn very quickly that the judge is, um, because homeboy who snuck Jack onto the boat has this has this special map that's going to take them to where all of the gold is and they're going to they're they're going to find the mother load um which is all fine and dandy except they're not discreet about it in any way whatsoever <laughs> And somebody has already tried to beat up this old guy and take his map. And Jack and Bullwick Griffin, the butler, find him in his cabin on the ship all tied up after somebody tried to steal the map. But they couldn't find it because he hid it in like a crack in a drawer. But they talk about that very openly and loudly um, to... I guess make sure that um, to make sure that Judge Higgins <laughs> hears about it because then as soon as Bullwhip and Jack leave the Judge Higgins comes in and whacks the dude on the head and knocks him out and finds the map and takes it. And so for the remainder of the movie, it is Jack and Bullwhip giving chase to Judge Higgins as Judge Higgins disguises himself in a myriad of ways to try and get this map and get to the motherload first. And they uh, meet up with some of the ethnic groups present in California during the gold rush that are uh, presented in maybe kind of a stereotypical way. I don't like, I don't want to straight up say like it was a problem the way they were depicted, but the accents and language of the Mexican dudes that held up the stagecoach and were shooting at Bullwhip and Jack and the judge 
were maybe kind of racist if if you really think about it um i think i think that was more racist than when they get to a camp and there's a chinese guy that they try to talk to but doesn't speak english uh my only worry there is whether or not the chinese guy was speaking real chinese um the real problem comes later when bullwhip and jack are on a boat coming back to san francisco from the gold fields and judge higgins has disguised himself in the dress and style of the Chinese miners in California at the time and uh, speaks some gibberish as if he were a Chinese man. So that wasn't great. And I think that was probably the main thing they were referring to um, because at the end of the description of the movie, it does say that it may contain outdated cultural depictions, and I think that's pretty fair. And so this whole time, while Jack and Bullwhip are off looking for the mother load and trying to get their gold, which they do get and then end up losing because Jack falls into the bay and Bullwhip goes in to save him and the gold is too heavy so they have to ditch it so that they don't drown. So that's quite unfortunate. But the whole time that these two guys are on their adventure, Arabella, Jack's sister, who, you know, he ditched in Boston because he was trying to get money to help her support him, is like, is uh, freaking out because her 12-year-old brother ran away to California. And at this time, it's not very easy to get to California, as we know, because it's pre-railroad. And so she is worried enough that she hops on a boat herself and ends up in San Francisco with um, not much of a plan to find her brother and butler so she just kind of ends up um singing in a saloon in san francisco and it is by pure happenstance that after jack and bullwhip get back to san francisco that they are patronizing said saloon and see Arabella performing and so then they get reunited um but then the big scary monster guy in town um wants to fight bullwhip and they don't really have the option to say no because they lost all their gold <laughs> so they presently have no way of returning to Boston. So they have to say yes to this fight. 
and it's organized by the crooked saloon owner who is in cahoots to make sure that the big mountain ox guy wins. Um, and so there is this whole fight scene and, um, my only complaint about, uh, pacing in this movie, um, is right here. This fight scene, uh, just felt like it went on and on and on and on and just didn't stop and it was just so much of the same thing over and over and over and there were some laughs in the mix sure but overall I think we can all agree that it really didn't need to be as long as it was and of course, there's bets on the fight, and who do you suppose gets hired to help handle the gold and money for the bets? You guessed it, Judge Higgins, he is back, and so while this whole uh, eternal fight scene is happening, he is trying to make off with the gold, and then the fight is over as he's taking the last of the gold and they catch him and he tries to run away and he knocks over a lamp and then the saloon lights on fire and then there's this whole huge fire and he's trying to get away and people are trying to save the stuff from the saloon and jack goes off and finds the horse that all the gold is on he comes back with the gold they i think the saloon just totally burns down uh, Arabella and Bullwhip seem to just decide that they're in charge now and nobody really puts up a fight. I guess because Bullwhip won the fight with the giant monster man. And then the movie is kind of over. There's a little bit of a song to wrap up to be like, and now we have San Francisco. But it just kind of ends there and it is uh, quite unclear whether they went back to Boston or not. I, I don't think that they do, uh, because the movie seems to be implying that the San Francisco we have today is in thanks to Bullwhip Griffin, which is a wild thing to say. Um, but I thought there, there were several things about this movie, about the way it was made, that I thought were quite clever. Um, like when you would go between major scenes or like between major uh, settings in the movie, there would be these little, little like um, interstitial like filler songs uh, done by your typical Disney studio chorus that I thought uh, were just delightful and charming. And there were little animations that went with them. And it was it was uh very cute and I loved it. I loved every second of it. Um Is it a cheesy movie? Yes. Um do I think it is intentional and aware 
of the cheese? Also, yes. I I don't think this movie was necessarily trying to take itself seriously. Um, I did a little bit of research, and it seems that the movie varies from the book uh, substantially. I was in fourth grade when the book was read to me, so I couldn't tell you for sure or not. I'm thinking it might be a good idea to go back and read the book. Um, but so far, honestly, this is, um, this probably takes a spot for the best movie I've watched out of the three. Um, I'd say it was more enjoyable than 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And, uh, probably even a little better than The Absent-Minded Professor. Um, I thought it was, uh, quite a good time. Well done, uh, nice music, um, pretty, pretty good acting for what it was. Uh, the kid who played Jack was pretty good for a child actor. Uh, you got Suzanne Planchette, who went on to be on the Bob Newhart show. Um, so... Really, um, I'd have to say an underrated Disney movie here. Uh, this one could probably use a little more attention. So, uh, clearly, uh, this one's a plus from me. Definitely surprised. The most surprising movie I've watched so far. I, I really did not think I was going to like it as much as I did or even maybe at all. Um, so, real great job to Disney here on this one. Um, made me a little nostalgic, uh, for fourth grade. That was a good time. And, yeah, really, um, really just, uh, caught me off guard this one. Um, so yeah, it was a great time. Next week, uh, if you come back, we've got... The Adventures of Huck Finn. We're jumping forward in time to the 90s. <laughs> so far we've been kind of stuck in the early era of Disney. Not that that's a, not that's a bad thing. Uh, just a little interesting as we're going alphabetically, not chronologically. Uh, so we're jumping ahead to a, a 90s film next week. So that'll be um, an interesting jump to see. I do believe Ooh, we've got a got a young Elijah Wood in the Adventures of Huck Finn. Uh so make sure you're coming back for that one. Um if you haven't watched The Adventures of Bullwood Griffin, I highly recommend you go do so. Um if you've missed either of the previous two episodes, go back and listen to those. And I hope everybody uh, will join me again next week for the adventures of Huck Finn. Thanks everybody for listening to Pluses and Minuses. I'll see you next week.